privilege to um, be here with you. Thank you for the opportunity to open the Word of God with you this morning. Um, I'd like to turn with you to Romans chapter 13. Uh, I want to think about uh, impact in our culture. You know, we want to impact our own culture for the gospel. We've been reminded of that, that there's a mission field out there. The world is the mission field. Uh, we want to have maximum impact. Uh, we want to affect others for Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and there's uh, different things people can do, right? There's uh, options, right? Uh, those are genuine options. There's lots of options even in the Christian life. Like, uh, it's not a command of scriptures to get married, for instance, right? No people uh, from... Uh, this generation from past generations who before the Lord uh, chose not to be married. Uh, Amy Carmichael, if you ever have an opportunity to read some of her stuff, this was her heart. I mean, not that she didn't have love in her heart. Uh, she did. She, uh, she wanted to have a family. But she chose to uh, forsake those things, forsake love in her life, uh, that she might go to India or far off lands, but ended in India uh, serving the Lord, uh, Interestingly enough, she would have said that the Lord gave her a family, actually gave her hundreds of children to love, um, but she chose not to be married. Now, of course, if we choose to be married, then the Bible has some clear commands about how that works, right? And so we see the distinction between options and, um, and commandments, right? Uh, Romans chapter 13, is it an option or is it a command? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is uh, no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Boy, that's a challenge, isn't it? Are we saying that President Trump is appointed by God? Well, the Bible says he is. Uh, you say, well, that's easy. He's the uh, conservative Christian's choice, I think. I think that's clear, or mostly from what I can feel now. But what about in Canada? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He's very ungodly. Um, he's, he's opposed to Christianity. Uh, is he the Lord's choice? Yeah. He's the Lord's choice. The Lord raises up these men. Uh, Daniel tells us that sometimes he raised up the basest of men to accomplish his purposes. Uh, the Christian isn't caused, called to change that, called to submit to it. And so Romans chapter 13 is not an option, it's a commandment, subject to those that the Lord has placed over us. Uh, some have said it this way, that um, only those who are under authority have authority. You think that's true? Only those who are under authority have authority. Well, I'm not sure where you're at with it now, but I trust that for the time this session is over, that we'll see that's what Scripture teaches, being under authority. Now, of course, uh, we think of governments and um, of course, the, the challenges is, well, they don't know very much, right? Uh, they don't really know what they're talking about. A Christian might say, well, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and um, these men don't fear the Lord, so they really don't have truism. Well, we agree with that statement. Uh, but do you think people could be subject to others even if those others didn't know as much as them? Would it be possible? Can you think of an example of that? Well, of course,
course, in every area in the Christian life, the Lord Jesus is always our example. And so when do you think the first time subjection is mentioned in the life of the Lord Jesus? Think about that. Well, it's Luke chapter 2. Let's turn back to it. And, and I, I can't help but think this is the point Luke wants to make from this point in the life of the Lord Jesus. Uh, hey, the fact is we know hardly anything about his life, right? That's just the facts of Scripture. We know hardly anything of the life of the Lord Jesus. Now you can get uh, men uh, who've written books. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan has written a little book entitled The Hidden Years at Nazareth. Right? And so he goes through and talks about, uh, sort of connects different events that he can get from Scripture, but it's still a very small book. Uh, so we don't know much about, about those years, those 30 years before his baptism. But we know this, that the Father was pleased at those hidden years. Right? It wasn't after the cross that the Father opened heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Where did he say that? Before or after his public ministry? He said it before his public ministry. The Father was pleased of the, uh, the life of the Lord Jesus in those hidden years, those years of obscurity. And, and so in chapter 2 of um, Luke, we have this, this account here. It says in verse 41, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover when he was 12 years old. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom, the feast, when they had finished the days. As they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So did the parents, the uh, Mother Mary, his father Joseph, his earthly father Joseph, did they understand what he was about? We would say, well, no, from the context, from what the Lord Jesus said, they didn't understand. And so that's why he asked the question. Notice the next verse. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he, that's the Lord Jesus in verse 51, says, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Uh, only those who are under authority have authority. So at 12 years of age, we don't know very much about the Lord Jesus, but he was subject to his parents. Um, that's in keeping with what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. Uh, Suggest to you, this is the way in which a Christian has maximum impact. Maximum impact in the world. Not the, uh, the things we know. 
as much as how we behave. Right? It's true, isn't it, that um, you know, it's doctrine that forms the way we behave, right? But you know, it's not doctrine that the world sees, is it? It's our behavior. You know, some have um, said, and I think it's useful in the gospel for sure, that, that um, they, people don't care how much I know till they know how much I care, right? And, and so that's reflected in my behavior. And so this idea that a, a Christian is not uh, submitted or subjected to any authority is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. It's contrary to the life of the Lord Jesus. So we say it creates uh, impact, this subjection or this submission. I wonder if it's true from other accounts. Uh, the man who wrote Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, was he submitted to authority? Uh, Acts chapter 9. Let's read his conversion. Now, this is him recounting this to Luke. Verse 3 says in verse 9 of Acts, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Um, that's up on the wall, right? Hey, what's Strong's definition of Lord? Does anybody know? What do you think? What's that? Master. Master. Okay, it's sometimes translated that. Yeah. Strong says uh, supreme authority. What about that? Uh, Paul says, who are you, supreme authority? And you remember the Lord Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. What does Paul say? What would you have me to do Supreme authority. You think Paul's life had impact? You think Paul made a difference places he went? Uh, he doesn't just write about being subject to authority. He was subject to authority. And, and so we don't have much of his life either. I mean, we have these accounts in the book of the Acts, and really we don't know a lot about Paul. I mean, history tells us some things, but Paul was submitted Authority. Only those who are under authority have authority. So turn to um, Acts chapter 16 and see if it made a difference to the lives Paul touched. Acts chapter 16. Verse 25 says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul called with a loud voice saying, 
do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he said, no, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. What held Paul in prison? Well, it seems easy to answer from the passage that it wasn't the doors and it wasn't the shackles. Is that right? Yeah, he wasn't a prisoner for the jailer in that sense. Uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul never calls himself a prisoner of man. Even when he was um, in uh, Nero's prison in Rome, he talked to the Christians like um, he might come and visit them. You think, Paul, like, how are you ever going to get a pass from Nero? You can't get a weekend pass from him? Paul says, I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and if Jesus Christ wants me to come and visit you, I'll come. Nero can't stop it. And, and so that's what we have here. We have Paul in prison, but he's not a prisoner of the jailer. Um, we know that because, as I say, after the earthquake, he didn't run. Uh, the jailer assumed he would. The jailer was actually willing to take his life when he saw what had happened. Hey, he thought it was serious. He thought all of them were gone. Paul says, hey, uh, we're still here. Don't do yourself any harm. Um, Paul prayed, he sang. What do you think he prayed for? Pray to get out of jail? I think salvation for the jailer, it's the thing that makes the most sense. If he was praying to get out of jail when the chains fell off, he would have ran thanking the Lord for answered prayer. Would Paul pray for the jailer? Well, hey, Paul knew the teachings of the Lord Jesus. You know what the teachings of the Lord Jesus were in Luke's gospel. Luke was good friends. He's here in Acts chapter 16, in fact. Uh, he says that, that the Lord Jesus taught, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. And so Paul prayed for the jailer and then expected God to move. He was subject until it happened. Uh was the jailer impacted by Paul's submission? So, yeah, absolutely. The church at Philippi was founded on this account. So, um, being subject to authority changes lives. Um, you know, one hymn writer alluded to this point here in Acts chapter 16, that it wasn't um, chains and shackles that held the Apostle Paul. Uh, just like it wasn't nails that held the Lord Jesus to the cross. And he has a verse in his hymn that says this, uh, "'Twas love that sought Gethsemane, or Judas ne'er had found thee. T'was love that nailed thee to the tree, where iron ne'er had bound thee.'" Was it nails that held the Lord Jesus to the cross? 
No, it was love. Love first for his father. Submitted, subjected to the will of his father. He was a man like Paul under authority. So we say, uh, is it true from Scripture though? I mean, is it just hymn writers that talk about this? Or was the Lord Jesus subject just in Luke chapter 2? Or was it um, the emphasis of his life? Turn back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, this is supreme authority, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. And my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed from that hour. (coughs) Excuse me. What did the centurion understand? He understood the subjection of the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, Who better in the New Testament, in the Gospels especially, could understand authority than a Roman centurion? Uh, The Lord Jesus says in the passage that um, the disciples, the Jews, Israel didn't understand authority. Were they a subject people? I mean, I think this is helpful because because we have this idea that that you know that that lack of authority is the scourge of our day. Well, it is, but it's been since the beginning, right? I mean, what was the sin according to the apostle Paul in First Timothy in the garden that the woman ate of the fruit? Was that what he called the sin? No, he said she usurped. Authority. That's what she did. That's what he calls it. It's a lack of authority. Uh, So it's back in the garden. Uh, In the days of the Lord Jesus, absolutely. Were the Jews a subject people? Why was Jerusalem leveled in 70 AD? Because they weren't subject. That was their historical record. Not being submitted to anybody. And so now here, I mean, this is the contrast the Lord Jesus makes. Here's a man, a centurion, who understood authority. Where did he get his authority? He got it from Caesar, and he got it because he was under the authority of Rome. And that's what he says to the Lord Jesus. He said, you know, you don't have to come to my house. 
He said, said, I understand this, that when I speak and command people to go and come, it's just like Rome speaks. And he said, I can see that you're a man under authority, and when you speak, it's like heaven speaks. And so you don't have to come to my house. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And so he understood the submission of the Lord Jesus to authority. And the Lord Jesus commands him for that. So we see that um, Paul, from the day of his conversion, was under authority. That's how he was saved. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 16 how, how the Apostle Paul's submission to authority affected, impacted lives around him. There are people in heaven today who are thankful for the submission, the authority, uh, the submission to authority in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke, Matthew, tell us about the subjection of the Lord Jesus to authority. What about, did it impact lives? Well, Luke could think of one at least that was impacted by the authority or the subjection to authority in the life of the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 26 says, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. The criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other... Answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief said he and his friend, because they were friends, right? Um, We get that from Mark's gospel, his account of this cross scene. Uh, There was actually three of them. Um, Barabbas was the ringleader. And so these three men were, well, in his own words, getting the just reward of their deeds. What were their deeds? What were they? Do you remember? They were, um, what were they? Insurrectionists. What is an insurrectionist? Somebody who fights against authority. Um, Hey, they were trying to um, restore the kingdom to Israel. And so they were fighting against the authority of Rome, and somewhere through that they were doing some stealing and somebody got killed. They murdered somebody. Say, well, um, you know, they just didn't understand the counsels of God. We're not like them. Well, uh, the um, disciples, even after the resurrection, still were a little bit off on the kingdom, right? Because you remember that even in the book of the Acts, they asked the question, now will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And so these men were insurrectionists. Uh, but something happened in um, this man's life for sure. Uh, what was it? Well, he saw somebody submitted to authority. Uh, you know, that's why I think Luke goes to such length to paint this picture before. You know, this graphic uh, illustration of the Lord Jesus carrying his cross, Simon carrying the beam or however that works, and, and this mass of these women from Jerusalem weeping, mourning for him. Uh, he, as we read, turns to them and says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. You know, if there had been one day in the life of the Lord Jesus that we could justify that he was concerned about himself, it would be this day. You know what? If the Lord Jesus had turned and, and said to the women, uh, yeah, weep for me, I'm about to go to the cross and the physical suffering is nothing in light of what's going to happen as I take upon myself the sin, the whole world, the wrath of God on a sin-cursed world, I'm about to take that upon myself and pay the penalty in full. If he'd have said something like that, I don't think it would change our perspective of him, but he didn't. He was concerned about them. His submitted life was a selfless life. Uh, uh, They say that... that, um, you know, that somewhere through there they nailed these people to a cross. I mean, the historians tell us that it would take up to eight soldiers to crucify a man. You know, to hold him down and to nail him to a cross. You think it took eight soldiers to nail the Lord Jesus to the cross? It didn't take eight soldiers. You know, the um, Lord Jesus tells us 
why his father loves him. He says, my father loves me because I willingly laid down my life. Not a man didn't take the Lord Jesus' life from him. He gave it. He submitted uh, his own will to the will of his father. And the will of the father included the plan of salvation. And, and in fact, not only did the, the Lord Jesus um, not need eight soldiers or whatever that was to crucify him. In fact, it says this, while they were nailing him to the cross, you know what he was saying? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke tells us in the original instruction of the language that it meant he was saying it over and over and over and over again. Do you think that impacted the thief? Yeah, it impacted the thief. You think he'd seen, maybe you say, well, he'd never seen anything like that. Hey, his whole life was that. He himself had killed somebody responsible for maybe more than one person's murder. He was a hard man. Uh, Matthew tells us that in the morning they were both blaspheming. Both thieves were blaspheming. But something changed in this man's life. That's what Luke records for us. Um, He said to his friend, don't you care? What had softened his heart? Well, I would suggest... Uh, the submission of the Lord Jesus to authority. So thus he could say, Lord, supreme authority, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, He'd been searching his whole life for a king, and he finally found one. You know, the Lord didn't give him what he asked for, right? Sometimes he doesn't give us what we ask for. Uh, He said, Lord, just uh, whenever your kingdom is, I don't need the right hand and the left. He wasn't like the sons of thunder. Remember, they were thinking of the kingdom. They said, Lord, can one sit on your left and one on your right? He wasn't asking for that. He said, "Um, just remember me and come into your kingdom. Sort of like the Syrophoenician woman. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? When she came to the Lord Jesus and asked that um, her daughter might be healed. Remember, at first, the Lord Jesus didn't say anything to her. And then he said, um, it's not good for the uh, children's bread to be given to the little dogs, right? It's not dogs as in street cur. It's little dogs, the pet dogs. You remember what she said? She said, yea, Lord, that's true. But, you know, um, why do we have pets? Well, so they can... Clean up. And I'm over at John's house. That's somebody, his cleanup crew. She comes in and does all the seats that are left over. She starts with the babies. That's the best place to start. And uh, nobody denies her that. And, and, and so the Syrophoenician woman says to the Lord, Yea, Lord, not for the little dogs to eat off the table, but what about the crumbs that fall on the floor? Can the dogs, the little dogs have those? And the Lord just says to her, Great is your faith. And remember, he heals her daughter because of that. And, and so this is what the, um, the thief is asking for. He's like, Lord, I don't need the left or the right. Just think of me when you come into your kingdom. That will be enough for me. The Lord says, you don't have to wait 2,000 plus years. You can be with me today in paradise. 
what softened his heart? I suggest, again, it's the Lord Jesus' submission to authority. Um, Christians under submission bowed to the authority of the Lord Jesus. Is there anywhere in the world that that happens? Well, certainly not out there, right? But here, right? It happens here. This is, right? This is what we're about. One place in the earth, face of the earth, where um, people are submitted to the authority of the Lord Jesus. Who's watching? The world? Say, well, sometimes the world watches. Uh, the angels watch, don't they? Uh, in fact, that's the teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, isn't it? Right? I mean, sometimes we make it about uh, symbols, and we understand symbols are important, right? We understand that. But um, it's about submission to authority. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Is it only through words we preach? Do you think? Actions. You know, um, we mentioned G. Campbell Morgan at the beginning in his little booklet on the hidden years, the hidden years at Nazareth. You know, G. Campbell Morgan, um, some called the Prince of Expositors. They said he was an outstanding preacher. You know, he had four sons who preached. The story goes that one Sunday lunch at their house. All the boys, G. Campbell himself, were there. A friend was invited. So he had all five of them sitting there. He asked the oldest son, who's the best preacher in the family? Would men be interested in that? Who's the best preacher? I think they would. I think they are. And so it's a legitimate question. You know what the son answered? Mom. She puts into practice what dad preaches. He had in this in his mind it was the practice. Does silence preach? Silence preaches. Uh, at least that's what... Paul talks about First um, Corinthians 11, verse 9 says, Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Hey, you know, sometimes people tell us that... Um, the woman's head covering is a traditional thing. It's connected with a past generation. Well, I don't think Paul is talking about tradition here. I'm not sure where you stand on it. But silence does preach. 
and to the masses of heaven. One place in the world where men show their submission to the Lord by uncovering, speaking, women, women, where they cover and are silent. We've seen from, I think, the life of the Apostle Paul that um, submission to authority, not only is it biblical, it's life-changing. We've seen in the life of the Lord Jesus that he himself was submitted to authority. We saw how it changed the life of the thief, changed his eternal destiny. Now we live in a world that... um, is against submission, against authority. But the Bible never makes room for that. It's not an option. Coming back to Romans chapter 13, submission to the authority of the Lord, to his word, affects people. We say that doctrine forms behavior. Behavior is what people see. And so uh, We all have areas in our life that the Lord is working in. It's not just symbols. It's a heart matter. But it's a privilege. Privilege to be under the authority of the Lord. And um, only those who are under authority have authority. It's not just these records that we talk about, not just these stories, not just these accounts. Um, It's in every gospel, in every epistle. Authority was the problem of the Old Testament. So, for example, we'll turn just to the last, and with this we're done, to the book of Jude. Jude and the other side of the page. Uh, Jude's heart was that he wanted to write to the saints about their common salvation. That's what he says in verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, he said, that's what I wanted. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints, or was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unannounced, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we said, his his heart was to write about uh, salvation, the common salvation that we all enjoy. But he said, you know, there was an attack in the church there was an attack on the faith. The faith here is that body of truth. right? And so then he goes on to uh, talk about what? Well, he goes on to talk about uh, those, verse 8, likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and notice this, speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, did Michael have authority? Yeah, he had authority. 
Why? Because he was under authority. Notice this. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. Michael the archangel never accused Satan. Why? Because he himself was under authority. Uh, Speaking evil, uh, Jude contrasts Michael's behavior to speaking evil of dignitaries. Speaking against the government. That's what... Paul would talk about in Romans chapter 13. Uh, Speaking against the authorities the Lord has placed over us. I mean, he's placed authority over us, right? Only those who have authority are, are, or only those who are under authority have authority. So he's placed authorities over me, over us. And so we don't speak against them. As the devil's work, we submit to them. Uh, You know, that's, Really, uh, across the page. Like I said, we can see this all the way through the Bible. How about in uh, the other side of Jude is the third epistle of John. Uh, What's it about? Well, it's about a brother named Gaius, whom John loves. He's uh, verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Okay, so so um, he was having physical problems, right? So John is praying about that for him. Notice this, just as his soul prospers. Uh, so although he was having physical problems, he uh, his soul was doing well. And they say, well, he's probably in a good church home, uh, a good church home that was taking care of him, and so that's how he was able to spiritually thrive. We say we don't know much about his assembly. Uh, we do know in verse 9 that there is one brother there. Verse 9 says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Is that a problem, do you think? For Diotrephes? I mean, really, whose place is he taking in the church? Well, Paul would teach by the Spirit of God that in all things Christ may have the preeminence. So when a brother is taking the preeminence, he's trying to take the place of Christ. That doesn't sound like a good place. But you know, um, John doesn't tell Gaius to leave. He says he wished that his body, his physical body, could do as well as his soul. How could he thrive in that environment? Because he submitted to authority. Hey, um, I read a news feed a couple of weeks ago, the IQs of... um, Presidents of the United States, you guys, any of you read that? Hey, you, remember, you know where Mr. Trump is? I know you're a bit jarred by this. I, I don't know if it's true or not. Hey, but he's way up there. Um, he's not as smart as Mr. Obama. They had Mr. Obama at, I think, 158. 
I mean, that's um, that's mind-boggling. Well, Mr. Trump is, I think, 148 or something like that, so he's not that far behind for his IQ. Mine's still in the double digits. I haven't got to the... My wife says single. I'm like, I don't know about that. They say a dog has a eight or a seven and a cat has a one more. So I'm like, I don't go for a single digit. But, you know, low, I agree. Uh, but the Bible never talks about that. The Bible talks about being submitted to those people that the Lord has placed over us and praying for them. And the same in the church, not Gaius leaving. Hey, your, thro- your soul can thrive. My soul can thrive when I'm submitted to authority. The Lord Jesus was subject to authority. Paul subject to authority. The teaching of Scripture. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that um, you would help us to um, apply your word to our lives. Father, we don't come here today and even stand here today professing to have these things in our lives. These are mind-changing ideas. We understand, Father, that our whole culture is against these things. That our flesh, my flesh, our flesh is against these things. And so our prayer is that um, we would have our minds renewed today by your word that you would take your word and by your spirit apply it to our hearts help us to um, not just know these things but be obedient to them father thank you for the blessings of scripture recorded for those who were under your authority that the lord jesus said to his disciples that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And Father, that's what we desire, not to burden one another, but to help one another, to um, help those who you've placed in authority over us. Father, we pray for the government, the governments of the three nations in North America. Father, we've read of, um, of past generations who saw great revivals in the gospel. Father, we read those things and we know that it was when your people who are called by your name, Father, when they were serious about your word, that things began to happen. We, we, we confess that so many of these things, Father, we see are under attack. And it's worse than we've ever seen it. Father, help us to be a submitted people and to make a difference. Pray for your blessing on the Christians at Brantford Bible Chapel and all the families that are represented here this afternoon, pray your richest blessing in each of our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.